Hello, and welcome to the Agape House of Worship weekly podcast. Through this podcast, we hope and pray that you will be equipped and empowered to live the life that God has planned for you. If you are blessed by this message and would like more information, please visit our website at www.agapehousenj.org. Thank you and God bless. this morning. I ask you to speak through me. I ask that, Lord, you will minister to your people through the words that you have given to me. And I ask that you will encourage us. And I ask that you will lift us up. And I ask that these words will become seeds planted in our hearts. And we produce fruits of righteousness. In Jesus' name we have prayed. I'm going to start with a few scriptures today. I will read uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. I am speaking on a topic I call rebuilding from ground zero. Rebuilding from ground zero. And many of us know ground zero became popular, the word ground zero or the compound word ground zero became a popular word after the 9-11 attack, right? After the 9-11 attack, the place of ruin, uh, two, one and two World Trade Center, that became uh, where, what is popularly known as ground zero. Uh, it's almost like a place of defeat. Uh, it's an evidence that we were, you know, we suffered a major loss as a, as a nation, right? It became uh, the heap of the metals, the concrete, just reminded us for many years, actually, what just happened. And many times we have grand zero in our lives. Uh, We go through defeat. We go through challenges. Uh, An example is what just happened to us, what happened to our brother, uh, what happened to us as a church. Uh, It becomes a grand zero. Now, sometimes... Uh, it is very difficult to rebuild from it. Uh, the good thing is we can rebuild from our ground zero. Uh, even in the physical, you go to Water Center today, uh, it is a more beautiful than what it was before. Uh, you know, we as a nation rebuild from that. Uh, said, you know, the enemy will not have the last say on us as a nation. So even in our life, we must have that mindset of rebuilding from our ruins. No matter what we've gone through, no matter what happened to us, loss of a loved one, a job, loss of a marriage, something terrible happened to us. Uh, you know, during those moments, it always looked like uh, it's over. Uh, but as a believer, as one of the things, as believers rather, one of the things we must learn is how to rebuild from our ground zero. Even from that hashes, there can be hope. And that's one thing we must learn. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. Uh, we're going to read it together. Can we read it together? It should be on the screen. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I'm going to also have us read First Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. 
First Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. Let's read one, go, one, two, go. Holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. You know, one of the realities of our Christian life, of our faith life, is faith don't always produce the result that we want. Uh, there are times when, you know, there will be times that when we pray, we ask, and they just don't happen. Uh, they just don't happen. And we are disappointed, we are hurt, we are disillusioned. And sometimes in life, a lot of people are crushed and they are not able to move on. Uh, my challenge to you today and my word for you today is to really talk about how to move on from our ground zero, how to move on from that place of defeat. Uh, as long as we are in this side of the world, there will always be moments in our life. Hopefully, there are not too many, uh, but there will be moments in our life when we will suffer, you know, great defeat. And uh, Proverbs 13 says that can make our heart sick. Now he's even talking about hope that is deferred. There are times when hope is dashed, all right? He says, and what, one of the things that happens to us is it can really cause a sickness of the heart. That is, it can almost cause a long-term damage. But how can we prevent you know, those kind of events in our life from causing a long-term damage? How can we prevent a shipwreck of our faith? He says, sometimes if we don't manage our faith, if we don't hold on to the faith, if we don't hold on to the faith and a good conscience, some people have, you know, have failed to do that, and he said they made shipwreck of their faith. Their faith is ruined, destroyed, and without faith, it is really impossible to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. You know, because faith is necessary. We need faith. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Uh, without faith, it is impossible to be what God wants us to be. In fact, faith is not just something that we must do once in a while. Faith is how we must live. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. So faith is necessary, and the enemy always comes at our faith. He always wants to compromise our faith. He almost wants to cause our faith to hit, to, to get into an accident and become totaled. So we are not able to recover our faith. And once we get to that place when our faith is dashed, is destroyed, guess what happened to our life? We begin to live a life that does not please God. We begin to live a life that is less than what God wants for us. It becomes a very, very, very difficult life, unfulfilled life. So the enemy wants to seize opportunity of our failures, right? You know, when he sees failures, when we, you know, when we experience moments like this, even as a church, the enemy wants to really puncture our faith. You know, deflate it so you say, you know what, well, maybe, you know, I'm not going to pray for the sick again. I'm not going to do this again. I'm not because... I am just worried of being disappointed, all right? You know, I remember uh, uh, Randy Clark did a message where he talks about the, you know, you know the th thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. 
You see, one of the one of the dangers, if I would call it danger, or one of the vulnerability of living a faith life, right? Walking in, you know, trusting God, praying for the sick, moving by faith, pursuing supernatural, is the fact that there will always be moment of defeat. All right, there will always be moment of defeat. One of, the, one of the hallmark of being a team and competing is there will always be moment of defeat. You will always lose, all right? Now, ability to be able to go beyond losing that game, losing that uh, tournament, is very critical to your ability to keep on succeeding as a team, right? Uh, some team just, you know, they suffer loss, everybody's angry, everybody starts blaming each other, the coach is fired, the players are angry at each other. What happened? They continue to lose. You know, the morale is destroyed. You know, the unity is destroyed. Everything is destroyed. The team begins to lose faith in their ability to win again. In fact, they forgot that they have won many games before that time. And sometimes people quickly make changes. They say, you know what, this is not working anymore, over losing one simple game. Teams that operate like that, they don't last. You know, so we must not be like teams like that. We must understand that, well, failing, suffering defeat is part of the process. You know, it's part, it will happen because we are still in this side of eternity where, you know, there is a lot of imperfection. Uh, there's a lot that we don't know than we know. It's very important to know that because if we don't, we give in to the enemy to take advantage of our defeat, to take advantage of our problem, of our challenge, you know, and we are not able to move on to bigger things. In fact, studies and studies have shown that most great things happen, most great breakthroughs happen, you know, shortly after people have suffered a major loss. You know, people after suffering a major loss, defeat, it looked like it's over. A lot of time is when things change, when things turn. I want you to look at the apostles. James was, you know, the first, James was arrested. And he was put in prison. I'm sure the church prayed, all right? Because there's no way the church wouldn't pray. The church prayed, and James was killed. Their prayer was not answered, all right? He was arrested, put in prison. They prayed. The prayer wasn't answered, and James was killed. And the enemy said, you know what? I got them. I'm going to arrest Peter. Peter was arrested, and the church didn't give up. They didn't say, you know what? I don't think this thing works. No, the church said we are going to double down. Now, this time we are praying harder. Now, this time we are not going to stop until we see the answers. And the church continued to pray, continued to pray, continued to pray until they saw the result. So it's important to understand that there will be moments of defeat. It is important to be careful not to turn our moment of defeat to a condition of defeat. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. So one of the greatest blessings a person can have is the ability to get up and move on after a setback and disappointment. I've seen people who just are messed up by their disappointment, breakage of marriage or you know, even breakage of relationship, engagement, and they're not able to move on. You know, there is more to life. 
lost. They are not able to move on. The fact is there is more coming than what you have lost. Praise the name of Jesus. I will read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Uh, if it's on the screen, I hope it is. All right. Uh, it should be there. Uh, if it's not there, just uh, project it somehow. Uh, that's why you're there. That's why you know about presentation, right? Uh, so, uh, Because I want everyone to read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Can we read it? All right. Is something going on? Are we able to do it? Thank Okay, no, 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 no. 11.6, we're there. God bless you. No, 11.13. Can you move to 13? All right, sorry about that. 11.13. Okay, can we read it together? All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Now, this is talking, I mean, for, to give you a background, the chapter of Hebrews, chapter 11, talk about the heroes of faith, all the great people that did great things, they moved mountains, you know, they did many things, uh, you know, raised the dead, walk on water, you know, Moses, Abraham, all these great people, Jephthah, Jonathan, David, you know, Joseph, you know, Isaac, Jacob, all these great men, you know, who did great things. But there's, there are two categories of them. So he listed some of the people who did great things. But there are a lot of them also that they never really fulfilled what they were trusting God for. It never really happened. So he said these ones, they were still living by faith, yet they, they were counted as people of faith because they didn't give up faith. All right? He said, they were still living by faith when they died, even though they did not receive the promise, even though some of the things they were trusting God for didn't happen, even though things didn't necessarily turn out the way they wanted. Some of them lost their lives. Some of them were murdered. Some of them were killed. Some of the prophets ended different way. But he said, what is unique about them is the fact that <clears throat> they didn't just give up faith. They didn't just say, you know what, this faith doesn't work anymore. You know, they didn't become cynical about God. They didn't become bitter about God. They didn't become, you know, angry people who just go around life and say, you know what, I'm angry. Life has not been fair. No, 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 no. He said they continue. They head on to faith even until they die. That's why Smith Wigglesworth, one of the greatest, one of the great apostles said, I would rather die in faith than live in unbelief. Is that is is better to because faith is what you need. Unbelief will never do you any good. Hallelujah. So we must be very careful so that our setback does not become our become our condition. Now, one of the people, I'm going to refer to two people today. Who really did this very well? And hopefully we can learn a few things from them. One of them is David, Second Samuel. And I'm, I'm going to take you, it's a long passage. I'm going to take you to Second Samuel chapter 12. And, and read an account of something that happened in the life of David. So David had his child that was sick. And we all know David, very, very a man after God, God's heart. 
uh, a great man, you know, a wonderful king, uh, you know. Now, his son was sick, extremely sick. And David was praying from verse 16. I'll start from verse 16. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the night lying in sackcloth, so on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him off from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. Now, so this, is a, this child was sick this time, all right? And he became ill, and David was like any parent would do, right? Like any father would do, and he was praying, was pleading with God, and he was fasting. He was praying overnight, doing night vigil, all right? He was wearing sackcloth, and he was laying on the ground. He was praying. He was fasting. The elders of his household stood by him. Uh, they probably joined him to pray. You know, some of them felt, you know, maybe this is getting too much. Maybe this guy is getting crazy. Can you eat some food? You can't just be fasting for seven days with no food. And he said, you know what, I am going to do it. And look at what happened on verse 18. On, on the seventh day, the child died. So God did not answer David's prayer. You know, as wonderful as David is, as great, as great a man of God he was, as close to God as he was, he was a man after God's heart, the child died. And David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they thought... While the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. Now, this is a guy who refused to eat. So he was already doing some dangerous stuff. He was already on a dangerous territory. He was already acting extreme. He was already so broken, so sad, wearing sackcloth when the child was sick. Now, who's going to go tell him that the child is dead? Maybe that person, knowing David, he has a little bit of temper. You know, you might not come back alive. <laughs> the last person that broke the news of the death of, of Saul was, was, was in trouble. I mean, David could lose it easily. And, uh, and they're like, I'm not going to be the one to tell him. Now, he might do something crazy. He might hurt himself. He might hurt me in process. And they were really, really struggling. How do we break the news to David? So while they were pacing back and forth, while they were coming into the place, and they were, you know, and David, look at verse 19. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves. And he realized the child was dead. So he put two and two together. He said, you know, I think the inevitable has occurred. He realized the child was dead. Then he asked, yes, they reply, he is dead. And look at what David did in verse 20. David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotions, changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. That was odd. 
And they're like, what's going on? What was his prayer point all his while? Was he praying for the child to die? What, 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 what was going on? They were really confused. So in verse 21, his attendant asked him, why are you acting this way? Because they're like, maybe he lost his mind. Sometimes people start doing some crazy things. He might just flip. Why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you got up and eat. Verse 22, he answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he's dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. This is incredible. I mean, this is how, I mean, this is just an incredible story of someone who was able to rebound because of the way of his, of his believers, of his mindset. And I believe he has more to do with his relationship with God that he was able to rebound from this incredible loss of a child, despite the fact that he prayed, he fasted. I mean, you would think the normal thing would be to be so disappointed, to be so angry at God. And in this moment, he said, you know what? I am going to worship. His reaction was really powerful. He went to the house of the Lord and worshiped. And one of the things I've realized is, People, especially great men, great men of God, both in the scripture and now, who were able to really rebound after a moment of defeat, were able to rebound because of their worship. It wasn't necessarily because of their knowledge. It wasn't necessarily because they were great theologians, they were able to put two and two together, because a lot of times some of these things don't make sense. But the biggest response when things don't make sense is worship. And that's why David got up from the ground and worshiped. Before I, jo- I kind of uh, wrap it together, I would like us to read Job too. Job was another person that really responded. In Job chapter 1, we all know how Job suffered, I mean, just unbelievable, unbelievable loss. Loss all his children in one day. I mean, you have seven kids, there was an accident, you lost all of them. And you, news came while they were having fun, having party, the house collapsed, and they all died. I mean, which one do you grieve first? I mean, how can you even, I mean, just contain that grief? Now he lost in the process, market collapsed, his business zoomed. You know, in today, all his stocks, whatever he had, zoom, zero, everything. Lost his businesses. Then, to make it worse, lost his health. I mean, things became so bad, and there was no explanation. I mean, his friends really want, they had to come up with an explanation. They said, you must have committed this. I mean, this does not make sense because 
the God that we know cannot allow this to happen to a righteous person. I mean, if you look at the story, the, the friends of Job, that was their argument. I mean, they were theologians. They were very smart people. They were thinkers. They, were, they said, look, we've read the Bible from cover to cover. The God that we know would not allow a righteous person. Isn't that what God says? A righteous person will always be blessed. Isn't that what the Bible says? If you obey God, nothing bad will happen to you. Job, prove to us that you are righteous. That's, I mean, you must have done something, and we want you to search your life, look at your life. What have you done? Confess your sin so that God can reverse it. And Job said, I've done everything. I've looked. I have not. In fact, he said, I have never even looked at a woman lustfully. I have done everything I'm supposed to do. I've been a faithful man. I have prayed. I have done everything I was supposed to do. And this conversation went on and on. To make it worse, his wife said, you know what? Just curse that God and die. <laughs> but how did Job respond? Why was he able to keep himself sane? Look at what he did in verse 20. Job chapter 1 verse 20. At this, Job got up and tore his robe, shaved his head, then fell to the ground in worship. Look at that. Fell to the ground in, in worship. Verse 21, he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. I want you to look at verse, verse 22. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. I mean, Job did not blame God. He did not charge God. What he did was worship. Isn't that, isn't that, that's exceptional. As I was thinking about this, I realized there are two aspects of knowledge when we talk about knowing God. There's what we call the cognitive knowledge, which is knowledge that we acquire, you know, by information. You know, it's linear knowledge, it's straight knowledge, it's logical knowledge. The knowledge that we acquire by observing, all right? The knowledge that we acquire by, you know, using our intellectual ability or activity as thinking. The knowledge you acquire through reasoning, right? A lot of times our knowledge of God if it's just limited to cognitive, we are not able to handle complex situations like this. So when things don't make sense, and I've seen this over and over again when people, you know, they are disappointed, things bad, you know, things they didn't expect, hope is dashed, you know, they're not able to explain it, they're angry. Sometimes some of these things test our knowledge. But there's also the second aspect of knowledge is what is called interactive knowledge. It is knowledge that is based on relationship. 
You know, it's, it's not enough to know about somebody. In fact, you can misread people when you just know about them, right? When you just read about them, who they are, who you think they are, that is different from someone that lives with them. They have another understanding. They have a, a, something they cannot even explain. Sometimes you know people, you want to explain who they are, you can't really explain who they are. And you're going to say, you know what, you really have to know them to understand what I'm talking about. And I think a lot of people who are able to really survive in those difficult moments are people who have acquired or developed an interactive knowledge of God. That is why worship is the only response left when things don't make sense. Because interactive knowledge of God is gained through worship. Worship requires a relationship. Worship is personal feelings. Worship is intimacy being expressed to someone face to face. That is why there is a clear, clear man, a, a, a connection between worship and intimacy. It's very important to know that. There is a very, very clear relationship between intimacy and worship. And that's important. That's why the greatest response people had, all these people we talked about, is worship. So when things don't make sense, Worship. Because true worship helps us to know the manifold nature of God. God is so complex. And it helps us to appreciate that. The intricacy or intricacies of God is learned in the place of worship. Worship is what makes our faith to be well-rounded and well-grounded and we're baked. That's important to know. Worship gives us the ability to manage what we don't know about God without jeopardizing what we know. A lot of times things won't make sense. And that's very, very, very critical. Because the Bible says the secret things belong to the Lord, the things that are revealed you know, belong to his servants. There's a lot about God that we don't know. And there's a lot that we will never know. But there's what we need to know, we already do. Now, when we come to those junctions in our lives, when it becomes complex, it becomes difficult to explain, don't try to explain. Uh, because you might be coming into a wrong conclusion, just like Job's friend. You might just conclude that, you know what, something is wrong. You might conclude that, oh, maybe because someone doesn't have faith. That's why that happened to them. Wow. Be very careful. Don't say, oh, yeah, if they have more faith, maybe they wouldn't have, something wouldn't have happened. Oh, if they are more serious, if they are more this, you might be coming into very, very, very dangerous conclusion. But also, don't let that weaken your faith. Don't let that damage your faith. Don't allow that to really cause you to say, you know what? I am going to stop praying. 
so that I don't experience disappointment. Sometimes that's how people protect themselves. Let me not expect more from life. Now, if this didn't work, maybe many things won't work. So that I can really protect myself from being hurt, then I should just stop expecting more from God. If you approach it that way, the enemy wins. All right? Make sure the enemy does not have the best of you by giving up on believing God. All right? So we're going to continue to believe. We're going to continue to trust. We're going to continue to pray. We're going to continue to believe that we're going to continue to believe in what God says he is. Right? Regardless of what happens, you must recognize that your condition does not define God. Hallelujah. Right? My failure does not define God. God is God by himself. Hallelujah. Now, he doesn't need me to define him. Right? I derive everything I have from him. He defines me. I don't define him. All right? Let's be, you know, let's make sure. We will all get into different things. Things don't turn out the way you are. Things you prayed for. You know, this is what God told me. God told me this is the person I'm going to marry. You know, sometimes, and that person, a couple of years later, disappoints and they run away. And you start questioning, am I even a Christian? Am I even a believer? Did I hear wrong? You know, did God lie to me? And sometimes people pursue these questions, right? On and on, on and on, until they are confused. And they start saying, you know what, maybe I'm not even, maybe he's not worthy. Maybe God is not real. Maybe all these things I think I know about him, you know, maybe he's not real. Maybe I should not even bother. Maybe I should not even hear him again. Maybe I should not even listen to him. All this God speaking to you thing, I don't even trust it anymore. I've had people say that simply because they had some disappointment in their life. Now, your disappointment does not define God. Can you explain everything? No, you can't. Will you be able to? You will never be. We will all get to that point in our lives when they are not just explainable. Now, when they can be explained, don't explain it. All right? Just run to what you know. I know that God is good. Regardless. I know that he's a good father. Regardless. I know that my future is secure. Regardless. I know his plans for me, they are good plans. Right? They are not evil plans. I know at the end of the day, God causes everything to work together for good. For those who love him. And for those who are called according to his divine purpose. That we know. That we can hold on to. And that we must hold on to. Hallelujah. I remember when I first started as a student, you know, learning mathematics, and you're talking about equations. One of the things that confuses you about equation is 2x plus y equals 4. I mean, you see x, you see y, you're just like, you know, you're just like, wow. And my teacher told me, don't focus on x and y. All right? If you focus on what you don't know, you will never be able to solve those equations. Now, focus on what you know. You know, if you, if you focus on what you know in those equations, all right, and you 
eventually you will be able to solve those equations. All right? That's how you solve it. That's a simple way of solving equation. That's a lens man way of solving equation. I just, you know, for some of you who see math and you're like, you know, you start seeing stars. <laughs> People who are caught up in X, Y, Z, wow, they get overwhelmed and they just lose it. But people who are caught up in, I know two, I know four, you know, they can really walk around and determine what X or Y is. Sometimes that's our life. Don't focus on what you don't know. All right? Don't focus on what you don't understand. Focus on, you know what? This is what I know about God. Be like that blind person, that blind man that was healed by Jesus. I mean, they were, they were asking him theological questions. <laughs> and after a while, I said, you know what? I can't answer all your questions. I have no clue who the man was. All I know is I used to be blind. <laughs> now I can see. All right? I mean, that's, and that is really the most relevant knowledge. All the other knowledge, whether it's a rabbi, whether he studied on that, who, I, I don't care. Focus on, all I know is he saved me. For some of you, that's all you can hold on to. He saved me. I was a sinner. I was going to hell. I was in sin. Jesus came, rescued me. He saved me. That no one can take away from me. It's there for me. All I know is he has a future for me. Focus on what you know about God. In those critical moments, you will be able to worship. And worship will get you through even the darkest moment of your life. Let's bow down our heads and pray. Let's think about it a little bit. Can we just reflect? I'll give you a minute. Just reflect on what you've heard. Just reflect on it. How has it impacted you? Just reflect. And I want you to just take some time to worship. Think of something that you know about God that no one can take away from you. Has he done something for you? Has he been there for you? Has he rescued you? Has he saved you? Just focus on that and say, Lord, no one can take this away from me. Nobody can take that away from me. I will not allow situations, circumstances that are too complex, too difficult for me to explain. I will put that aside and hold on to what I know about him. Holy Spirit, I just release everyone into your hands. You know more than we do. You are our guide, our comforter, our strengthener, even in difficult moments. And I release everyone going through those challenging moments, hard to understand, hard to wrap their mind around. And I pray you will guard them that the enemy will not be able to shipwreck their faith because of what they are going through. Their heart, their sick heart will be healed and they will be able to look up to you and be enlightened in the mighty name of Jesus. And I pray for those who don't know you here, if anyone here does not know you, I pray you will reveal yourself to them today and they will know you, their only true God. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen.